Yeah. It kind of reminds me of my friend who married the wrong guy and kind of knew it like the day before the wedding, she's like, I'm making a mistake. And I'm like, then don't do it. She, she walked down the aisle anyway, because she, she felt like that was a way to make her life move forward. Right. Like you are moving forward in today's society. If you're married and you're getting a kid and you have your career, But what people fail to realize is if you're moving forward in someone else's direction, you're moving backwards in yours. And eventually who you are is going to shine through. It's going to win. And you're going to have to dismantle everything you've built in this perception of what's moving forward. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I hey, think welcome to Better to be with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Happy. Stephanie Estima. So let's get better. Today, I speak to best-selling author Ashley Stahl. She is the author of U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. And while a lot of our conversation does focus on finding your dream career and creating opportunities for yourself, this is really personal, a conversation about personal development, how to forgive yourself and money, which, you know, I've been saying this for a while. I want to start talking more about money on this show because as Samantha from uh, Sex and the City once very famously said, honey, people get funny about money. And a hat tip to my fellow Canadian, Kim Cattrall, who played Samantha on Sex and the City. She was the sex in Sex and the City, the only reason, in my opinion, to turn in, tune into that show. But I digress. So we, we talk about money here. We talk about our belief system around money. We talk about how our trauma as children or what we learned or, you know, what people talked about, about money, like money is the root of all evil. When you have, you know, the othering that can happen, you know, our rich cousins or our neighbors across the street who are much better well off than us. We, we sort of have this internal dialogue that can develop depending on your parents' stories about money that you may unconsciously or consciously um, have adopted. And in the course of our conversation, I think you're just going to love this because we talk about how to get closer to your true nature, what she calls your core nature. And that is really done by the reflection of others. You know, as she talks about in our conversation, sometimes you can't read the label of the jar you're in. So we talk about getting clear on who we are, getting clear on our desires. You know that that's a really big topic for me. I absolutely love to talk about desires and how we can begin to uncover our our core skill sets. So our core skill sets in the book, she talks about these, all, all these different types of core skill sets, but it's really in her, in her journey uh, from going 
from a being a business coach to being a national security expert for the Pentagon, that Pentagon, <laughs> the, the same one that you're thinking of, um, she talks about this when she hit rock, rock bottom and the sacred space that can come from hitting rock bottom, that there's power in powerlessness and where you can make the most profound realizations about you and your life. And I think that this is so relevant in today's environment where we have, you know, a bit of economic turmoil. There's a lot of jobs that have been lost. There's a lot of people that are working from home. And maybe there's been this reflection around what really matters to me. What is actually the thing I want to be spending my life doing. So core skill sets, core nature. We talk about our money blueprint, our core values, how to get in bed with our limiting beliefs, our, uh, you know, our blocks, she calls this befriending your blocks and how we can begin to create our dream life. And of course we all talk, this whole conversation is talked through a, a through line of career and designing your, you know, your dream life from that perspective. And of course we spend most of our waking hours working on a job. So you might as well love what you're doing, but she really shuns the, you know, follow your passion and do what you love. Like these kind of platitudes that we often hear from counselors and uh, coaches who don't know what they're talking about. So, and without further ado, please enjoy my conversation on self-forgiveness, money, personal development, and designing your dream life with Ashley Stahl. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right. Well, I am delighted this week to be bringing you a conversation with Ashley Stahl. Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to welcome you. Thank you so much for having me. So we are going to talk about your book, uh, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction and Design Your Dream Career. And as I was telling you in the pre-chat, we don't often talk about money. We don't talk about career building on the podcast, but the through lines that you talk about in this book. Uh, you talk about different, um, uh, you talk about different principles around understanding who you are and, you know, what your nature is and what you love doing. I think that those can be, um, translated into a myriad of different verticals in someone's life. It can be in their career, in their body, with their partners, like all the things that, you know, in their spiritual life, all the things that we deem important. Yes. Um, so before we kind of get into all of that, I would love for you to just tell my Bettys, my, my listeners of the show, we call them our Bettys. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your 
origin story. And you talk a lot about this in the book, but you go from this woman who is, you know, I think was an administrative assistant making minimum mm-hmm. wage to managing this like multi-million dollar, you know, t- counter-terrorism project in the Pentagon. So tell us a little bit about that. And then my specific question for you is, you know, some people might say that working in the Pentagon is like a dream, right? This is like the yeah. pinnacle of success, right? Like this is yeah. like everything I ever imagined. This is like the high, one of the highest offices in the country. Um, mm-hmm. How did this experience working in the Pentagon shape your image, you know, of yourself and help you mm-hmm. identify what was important to you? Yeah. Wow. I, I, we have so much to talk about. I'm so excited for this conversation. I, just to start with my own origin in service to everybody listening, because I always hate to just talk about myself and not teach anything to anyone. But I think I was like everyone. I, you know, in college and, and those of you who went to college, it's like there's this pressure to pick a major. And I was operating under the misunderstanding that your major actually totally matters, which it doesn't. Um, most of the data indicates that having a degree does something for your career. But what your degree is in is usually only relevant if you go into the medical space or maybe you're pre-law and you need something more political. And even then you can kind of fudge it. And so I would say, unless you're in the sciences, your degree doesn't matter and only 27 percent of people are actually using their degree. I walked in to my college office and said, like, you know, what do I do when I grow up? And she gave me all the three worded tirades that we all get, like, follow your passion, you know, do what you love. And I just remember feeling more lost than I'd ever been before and thinking to myself, like, this isn't it, but I don't know what is. And just feeling so lost leaving the office. And you know, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. So from a really young age, I was, you know, listening to my dad's television set and he was listening to politics. He was fighting with my uncles for better or for worse every single Sunday, Sunday family dinner, fighting about politics. And so I kind of had an opinion. And after that conversation in the career services office, I just said to myself, well, I might as well just pick something I'm interested in. And what I didn't understand at the time is that being interested in something, and I talk about this a lot in my book doesn't mean you're meant to be a producer of that thing. So uh, consumer versus producer. So I loved consuming politics and fashion, but that did not mean that I was going to be a good producer of politics and fashion design as a career. And so that gap is something that I've continued to question in my work as a career expert. And this was very much so the beginning of me questioning that. Um, And so I would say, you know, I chose government history in French, not out of being an overachiever, but out of indecision, really. And I always loved languages and cultures. And so I just told myself, like, I'm going to try this out. And what I would eventually start to notice as a graduate student and just giving all of myself to this career path and even being really particularly impacted by 9-11. I had family on the East Coast in New York and um just really felt the impact of 9-11 for them. And looking back, you know, there were whispers when I went to graduate school in the back, in the winds of my mind, very quiet whispers saying like, you're too sensitive for this, or this isn't the right career path for you. And what I didn't understand was there's, there's two dynamics in any successful career. And I'd eventually learned these as a career expert over the past decade There's the what of what you do in your career that has to do with how you spend your day, how you spend your time, what your core skill set is. 
And then there's how you do your career. Given that we know that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what we know to be true is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. So you really have to straddle and navigate those two dynamics of what are you doing throughout the day? What is your skill that you're using and how does it look? What is the environment you're putting yourself in? What are your core values and what does that say about the environment that you need? So for me, those were both off. Like I am a words person and that's something I talk about in my book is the core skill sets. And I didn't really get that. And so I remember when I was pursuing that career in national security, I emailed my university after applying and applying and applying for jobs, not being able to get anything and eventually thinking I just need to take what I could get. So I became an admin assistant making minimum wage in Los Angeles. And, you know, I emailed my university and said, do you have a list of people who have graduated and moved to DC? And they sent me 2000 names, emails, and phone numbers that were alumni who had moved to DC. And that has worked in my favor because DC is a pretty one dimensional town. Like you either work in politics, government or politics. So it was pretty <laughs> politics, easy. politics or politics. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was able to work my way through that list. And I was just so afraid of not having a career I was proud of or not being who I wanted to be in the world that I was willing to jam through that list and face all the rejection and potential failure that existed in that list. And sure enough, you know, now looking back, it's like out of those 2000 people, probably a hundred of them wanted to help me. And it's because of them that I was able to move to Washington, DC, quit my admin job learn how to job hunt. You know, I fell on my face with a lot of those 2000 names, but I eventually I would learn how to talk to people. And because of that, my life changed because of that. I was able to truly learn how to create opportunities for myself. And it was in those times when I started getting a lot of job offers in Washington, DC, that I realized that the best jobs, the best opportunities they don't always go to the best job seeker. They go to the best communicator. And it was really empowering for me to realize in my early 20s that getting opportunities is a learnable skill. You have to be willing to face pain. You know, like there's a pain of knocking on a thousand doors and your knuckles are bleeding, but life is a numbers game. And eventually a door is going to open if you are willing to be the person that knocks on the doors. And so for me, I got those three job offers picked one working for the Pentagon, running a program. And it was all just because of networking and talking to people. I remember so many times seeing the Harvard graduates with their very sparkly resumes in the waiting room for the same job interviews that I got. And the only reason I got them, because I didn't go to, you know, a top school. I went to a small liberal arts college, like a lot of people might have. And it, the only thing I had going for me was I had already talked to the recruiter and networked with them. And so they were happy to see me when I walked in for my turn at the job interview. And um, yeah, that brought me into national security on my way into the career path that I thought might be good for me, despite the whispers in the back of my head saying, you're a little sensitive for this. You know, you're a creative writer. Are you sure being an intelligence analyst is the best way to express writing? You know, all of these questions were brewing in the back of my mind, but on the sidelines of that, 
I learned how to be an excellent job seeker. I learned how to help people get job offers. And that is one of the most important messages I have to offer for anybody listening is when you learn who you are, what your skills are, what your values are, and you build a career around that instead of what you want to be, instead of what you're interested in, because your interests don't always reflect who you are, what your skills are. When you really learn who you are and you build a career around that, things get easier, opportunities become more fun, and you start attracting things that really line up with you and your gifts and your impact in the world. And so on the sidelines of pursuing counterterrorism, I learned how to be a great career expert. And I remember thinking, you know, people would say, you should be a career coach. And I was like, what are you talking about? I barely have a career to coach off of. Like I'm like 20 something, but I was such a good job seeker and there wasn't anyone out in the market offering, helping people get a job. It was the recession. So I started helping people with what I knew and I made a great impact and eventually started a business. And that has taken me here now, 10 years later with my book and my podcast and my courses and all of the things. I love um, those whispers of intuition that uh, you mentioned where you're like, are you sure? Are you a bit more of a career? I too am a words person. So we're going to talk about uh, core skill set in a moment. I love words. I'm a word nerd. I I, re- I have, and I actually, very similar to you as well, I have a an affliction for uh, French and I love Italian and, you know, just love the way that the words sort of sound in your mouth as you're saying yeah. them. And it's interesting um, because I've taken courses, you know, I've taken language courses, in, you know, in French and Italian, but I would never consider um, making a career out of them, you know, yeah. or, you know, l- like fashion, you know, l- I love to see a beautifully, you know, maybe not fashion, but more an interior design. I love to see like a well-structured room and yeah. what makes it interesting. But if you were to put me in a blank, <laughs> like I can look at the after and say, oh, I really yeah. like that. But yeah. it's, it, it's not necessarily my genius. Like I'm really very proficient at, you know, understanding very complex science and understanding pathways and then like trying to figure out how this applies in real life. So, you know, what you're saying really, um, really appeals to me because there was a time in my own life when I was in New York, my husband was working on Wall Street at the time and I didn't have a, you know, a license uh, to practice in the States. I'm, I'm based in Canada. So I took some time off and I was like, what would I like to do? So I took my language courses, took some fashion design and whatever. And when it came to the, um, implementation, you know, like creating a, you know, a fashion book, you know, creating, I was like, I don't want to do that shit. Like, I just want to, like, I'm not interested in it uh, enough to do, to do that. Like I had drawn a couple of sketches of like what I think a really great, you know, whatever skirt might be. Exactly. Well, the concept of fashion is a thought. That's a fantasy. That's an interest, but the implementation is a skill and a life and how you spend your time. Right. And so It's interesting because I don't want to tell people don't follow your passion, but I think it's awful advice because you could be, you know, first of all, there's a lot of artists out there that don't want to turn their art into work. Like even for me as a content creator, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like words and, you know, we can go through my core skill sets if you want, but words is my core skill set as it probably is yours too. And it's like, even as a content creator, I feel this constant pressure, even with my podcast, you know, like new sponsors are coming or things like that, where I need to keep creating content and being fresh and innovative. And so I feel a slight amount of that pressure that I think a lot of people feel around their passion, where you don't want to turn your love into your work all the time. And, you know, your interests are just a backdrop. Like, 
If you love sports, that says nothing about what skill you want to be using. And your skill is what you're doing from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Are you talking to people? Are you using words? Are you writing? Are you researching? Are you doing math with numbers? Like, how are you using your hands, your body, your heart, your mind? That's your day. That's your life. Sports is a backdrop. And so I think too many people are leading with a backdrop and they're getting a lot of confusion. And I think that this idea of following your passion has just been submerged into our culture for the past two to three decades. Somebody must have said it. It must have gone viral. It said it sounded good. It felt good, but it doesn't get you somewhere. Well, it's just like the happiness argument, right? It's like, you should be happy. And this like almost toxic positivity that we see. It's like, well, sometimes I'm going to feel sad. And I want to also be able to feel my feelings around this in the same way that, you know, your guidance counselor, you know, whoever said, you know, follow your passion, you know, don't think about the pressure that it might, you know, that a, that a, that a career in counterterrorism, you know, you should be able to, with your core skill set, be able to, um, withstand a certain amount of pressure. The things that you do from nine to five, there should be a certain amount of pressure. Like you said, be able to create content and staying fresh. And that's part of the job. But if it, yes. if it, you know, if you're not able to withstand that, that stress, that, that pressure, that's not necessarily going to be something that's going to be fulfilling for you. And then we run into burnout, which is, you know, a whole other conversation. Whole other yeah. Well, I think the thing about burnout that's so interesting is, I mean, I could go on about how there's four causes and I've done podcast episodes about that, but burnout really just happens when you're not being who you are, Right. you know, because you right. keep walking down a path that isn't you, that's what mm-hmm. burns you out. So if you're using a skill set all day that isn't the one you want to be using or you're so maybe the the what of your career is off or the how you're you're working out of integrity with your core values let's say you value integrity and you're selling something you don't believe in that's going to burn you out but you know i i love what you're sharing here about um pressure because i do believe everything has a cost of admission and we've also been sold this vision and dream that we should love what we do and i do think we should love it some of time. But I think if you're using your core skill set, 80% of the time, 70% of the time in your job, you're in your zone of genius, you're doing pretty great. And I think far too often people are looking at that gnawing feeling of something is missing and they're putting it on their job and they're putting all these expectations on their career. When it's like, can you fill that gap of what's missing in your life with you in some other way? Um, Because the thing about purpose and just humans in general is We are a living, growing, shifting organism. And as such, our purpose is going to move with us. And if we keep trying to put our finger on it and try to fill that gap of something missing through our career, we're always going to be chasing this ever elusive carrot that I don't think truly exists. It's about using your skills and creating opportunities for yourself, having momentum and making an impact based on who you are. And if you can be at least figuring out who you are in a way that you can go do that, I think you're ahead of so many people and there's so many other ways in your life to create more purpose. So let's, let's start diving into some of the concepts that you talk about in the book. So we'll get, we'll get to skill set in a moment, but I I really wanted to start with the core nature that you describe in chapter one of your book. And you talk about this idea that uh, you, you detail this. Uh, scenario, you're at the Pentagon and one of your coworkers is like, oh my gosh, you're, you know, every time you walk into a room, you know, the energy shifts, right? Like you're, I think she had said, you're joyful and you're curious oh, mm-hmm. and you're funny and you're all of these things. And I think that that's such a 
blessing that you had this reflection yeah. from your coworker, because I feel like if I had to describe who I was, I would say things like, I'm, I'm hilarious, you know, and mm -hmm. I might may or may not be hilarious, even though I laugh <laughs> at my own jokes. Right. So I may say like, I'm hilarious and I'm quirky and I'm loving and I'm, you know, these are, these are my things. Um, but that might not necessarily be an accurate representation of how others perceive me. Mm -hmm. So how, how can we get closer? First describe what, you know, your core nature is in the context of U-turn, in the context of your book? And then how can we get clear on mm -hmm. who we are? Is it, is there like a, you know, I've taken all the, I've taken the Colby's, yeah. I've taken the strengths finders. I've taken, how do we get closer to who, to who we are? Yeah. You know, according to research, we don't know ourselves sometimes as well as the people who are watching us know us. And I think right. it's just hard to read the label when you're inside the jar, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I would say there's such an intelligence to being able to ask people around you how they would describe the room when you walk in. And that's that answer usually will point you in the direction of your core nature. If you do the diligence of asking people that you think have a pretty good sense of you, you know, cause if you're around, if you're asking somebody that doesn't know you very well, you might be not yourself when you walk into the room. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so you know, there's, it's, it's funny. I was actually helping a client the other day, figure out her core values. And she had this very exhaustive list and we had to really narrow it down. Cause you can only bring so many core values into your career without, you know, having to juggle too many of them and not get what you want. So we were looking at her values, but something felt like it was missing for me. And I asked her like, what would your friends say about you? And so it's interesting. Cause I always thought when I was writing this book that you have to ask people what they think or get their feedback directly from the questions I'm asking in the book. And a lot of people do, but she was able to tell me what her friends would say about her without even having to shoot them a text or ask them. And I learned so much more about her through her mirroring what they've mirrored to her. Mm. And so I think for anyone, yes, there's value in asking, you know, for your own core nature, what is that energy that you bring to a room? What is that foundational energy upon which you are you? I think that's useful information for your career because you might have a skill set that can point you in a certain direction, but there might be certain things about the energy that people would describe you bringing to the room that are not compatible with a career path, with a certain skill that you want to be using in a certain way. Um, you know, for example, um, in my book, you know, I talk about how one of these mentors that I had at the Department of Defense, she called me communicative and joyful and wise and bold, like you were saying, and funny. Mm. And she talked about what a blessing that was. And I mean, to be to be candid, I don't really know if like a communicative, wise, joyful, funny person is the first energy I would describe at the Pentagon. You know, I'm sure there are some funny, joyful people in there, you know, no doubt. But I wouldn't necessarily say that way of being in the world is compatible with the Department of Defense. Maybe um, it depends on my skill set, depends on my values and some other pieces of the puzzle. But just as a starting point, looking at my core nature, I wasn't compatible with um, that sort of work environment. Right. And maybe that was just so unique and refreshing. You know, it, it was so different from maybe what they were already experiencing being in the Department of Defense um, that it was like, wow, you're so joyful. Like, that's so great. Yeah. Like, well, we, we just can't get there, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes. So, and I think that this is a really important exercise as a starting point. You know, if you're at the starting line and you're like, who am I actually? Because what you're, what you're doing in essence, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how my interpretation of 
starting off with your core nature was, is you're getting kind of closer to your desires, right? You're kind of getting closer to, exactly. um, you know, it's, it's hinting at and getting closer to your essence. Yeah. And then from there, you know, we'll get into core skill set. but then from there you can say, okay, so if I'm a curious, wise, joyful, funny oh. person, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that that type of person wants what is mm-hmm. a joyful, curious, wise, what does she want? What would she, what, what kind of contribution? Where is she working? Exactly. Right. Or right. who do I know that has a similar energy field to me? What are they doing? Right. Who do I know, underline, that's happy with what they're doing mm-hmm. that has a similar energy to me? Um, and, and even asking friends, who do you know that reminds you of me that has similar energy to me and what do they do in their career? Um, these sorts of questions are so useful. And, you know, it, I just think the best hack to a sustainable career is being yourself, because if you're not being yourself, then eventually you're who you are, what you want, what you feel is eventually going to shine through and leak through. It's always going to win. It's going to break through in the way that you don't want. Yeah. Yeah, It kind of reminds me of my friend who married the wrong guy and kind of knew it like the day before the wedding, she's like, I'm making a mistake. And I'm like, then don't do it. Obviously, it's easier said than done when you've got 300 guests appearing at a hotel the next day and families involved for sure. Like what a what a painful um, public way to face the truth. She she walked down the aisle anyway because she she felt like that was a way to make her life move forward. Right. Like you are moving forward in today's society if you're married and you're getting a kid and you have your career But what people fail to realize is if you're moving forward in someone else's direction, you're moving backwards in yours. And eventually who you are is going to shine through. It's going to win. And you're going to have to dismantle everything you've built in this perception of what's moving forward. So eventually who she was came through and it's the same with your career. Um, And so my, my question is like, why not start being who you are today? And I think the barrier to that is that a lot of people are disconnected from themselves and you know, as Don Miguel Ruiz says in his book, The Four Agreements, we've become domesticated. And, you know, the domestication starts at a very young age, just like we teach a dog what's good and what's bad. The dogs are taught how to behave. And we are kind of just like those animals in a way where our parents, for better or for worse, with good intentions, they domesticate us just like we domesticate our pets. They teach us what's good. They teach us what's bad. And society kind of teaches us what our career options are. And we become indoctrinated into this limited version of reality. And we become indoctrinated into this very real cellular desire to belong. I mean, think about like, you know, back when there were cavemen, it's like the village was necessary for your survival. You needed the village for hunting and gathering and for taking care of the home. I mean, there were so many survival related things that you needed. And so that feeling, that fear of not fitting into community, of going against the grain, it, it, it counters your des- desire to survive in the world in right, a way. Right. And so our desire to have a career is so linked to our, our ability to survive. It's about paying our bills, putting food on the table, attracting a partner. There's just so many primal needs that we look at our career to meet. And I think that that kind of domestication and fear really has gotten us off course when the truth of the matter is that there's room on top at every profession. If you want to be a painter or a poet or all of the things that are tending to be classified as with the word struggling in front of it, like how many times have we heard struggling artists or struggling writer or whatever, but 
there's always a poet that's making a ton of money. There's always an artist that is. And the difference between them and anybody else is they decided that they were going to, you know, from come hell or high water, they were going to pursue it. And they had a gift, which is what I would argue the most. And so, um, you know, there's most people listening to this podcast, hopefully not because I know that they're aware enough to be listening to a podcast about themselves with you. Um, but most people in the world are these undefined individuals, I would argue. And I say that with no judgment. I just think it's the truth. We're much beyond your favorite food or maybe even your favorite place to travel or your favorite song or music. You don't know much more about yourself. Right. And so I think my book is really an excavation into yourself. Who are you? What are your skills? What do you value? What's not negotiable for you? Because when you start to put up some boundaries between yourself and the world, when you start to hear those whispers, like we were talking about in the back of your mind, and instead of dismissing them, you start to treasure them. You start to realize like, that's the gold right there. Um, Getting to know yourself, you have started in the races of giving yourself the opportunity for a fulfilling career. And here's why. There's three lily pads. And I don't really write about this in my book. It's just thoughts that I've been having lately. But I think every career path has three lily pads you can take or each person. The first one is you don't like your career and you don't want to fix it because it's inconvenient and it takes a lot of work or you have golden handcuffs. I'm going to say that that's the majority of the population. It's, it's, it's just a lot of work to be happy. You have to like unravel your life quite often to stay unhappy because, you know, with every new way you see the world, an old version of you is dying and a new way of being a new thing you see is who you want to be next. And so most people don't want to unravel. They want to stay where they are. So that's lily pad number one. And it's, it's, it's a place where you're going to hear a lot of people say they're fine, but When people say they're fine, I just think they're not in touch with their pain. So that's lily pad number one. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. Number two is where my book U-Turn tries to get people. It's knowing where you're gifted. It's knowing what your skills are. It's knowing what your values are. It's knowing what opportunities exist in the workforce. Um, You can learn some of that in my book. A lot of that is in my courses, but really being able to say, this is me. And all of a sudden the world becomes a matchmaking job where it's like, this is me and my skills. And these are the opportunities out there that match that. Things just get a lot more simple when you know yourself. When you're vibrating in the world of your gift, what happens is that people notice that you're good at something. You start to thrive at work. And according to research, you're just happier when you're doing something you're good at because you're good at it. And, you know, people like to be good at something. And so when you're vibrating there, it's like a riverbed. It's like a river current. You start attracting opportunities 
in that line of gift and in that line of talent because people want people who are good at things and it's actually quite rare in the workforce like if you think about anywhere you've ever worked there's probably one or two people that come to mind that were really amazing in a sea of like 20 30 40 100 people so it's rare to see someone gifted and i think those people are living on the second lily pad they're in their gift and they're attracting opportunities and then life becomes a filtering game you get to say yes you get to say no and and, and it gets a lot more fun so my book just gives you the opportunity to step onto that lily pad, to swim over there. And then the third lily pad, I think is actually quite rare. And that's Dharma. That's like a divine level of calling and work. And, you know, I actually never made it there until writing my book. Um, it felt like magic was like flying from the sky into my fingers as I was typing and I would cry. And I just had this like full body experience of writing. And it felt like it didn't even come from me. And I know a lot of content creators who are in their soul's work. Like they've felt that before. I'd never felt that. And I call it the place, you know, you get to create from the place and I'd never been there before until I kind of swam over to the third lily pad. And I think the only reason I made it there was because I did the work to figure out who I was. And, you know, that gives you an opportunity, that second lily pad to just get a ticket into your possible Dharma. And now when I watch TV and I see athletes, for example, who are famous athletes, um, people at the top of their game, I can see the ones that are creating from the place because it kind of takes one to know one. And so that would be my wish for anyone is maybe you, you don't in this life find that divine calling. Maybe you do, but at least work in your gifts so that you feel lit up by what you're doing and you get opportunities that give you an opportunity to experience that. And at least you try like this is, there's so much, I love everything you're saying because there's so much resistance to the idea of desire and to lean yeah. into that. And yeah. I, we have, a, I have a, a, a membership um, group. We call them a Hello Betty, our Hello Bettys. And we did a training on desire and there was so much resistance. It's like, but if I want something, if I want to swim over to that lily pad where I am now attracting things, like, isn't the other shoe going to drop? Like, isn't it like yin and yang? Like if I want something here, isn't something over here that I also prize or that I also deem important going to, um, you know, somehow be, you know, destroyed or ruined or, you know, disassembled. And yeah. there's, um, you write about this in the book around, um, and I, I just wanted to bring it up because it really spoke to me, uh, for so many people that I, you know, from my past that I just like love, but you know, we don't necessarily like vibe anymore. And it's this idea yeah. of being realistic, you know, it's mm -hmm. like these people who are like, I'm just going to, I have to be practical. Like I have to, you know, these are the things that I have to do in order to get my basic needs met or thinking about dreaming or thinking about calling in my desires just seems too like wishy-washy, airy-fairy garbage, you know, hippy-dippy science um, kind of thing. And you said something that really, you know, I almost wanted to like highlight it and like send it to a couple of people where it was like these people, these overly uh, practical, overly like not letting that desire that like, you know, even, even just a little bit of Dharma, even just a little bit of like facing the direction of the Dharma lily pad, yeah. um, that these are just people that have had their hearts broken. And so these are dreamers, you said they're dreamers that have had their hearts broken. Yeah. And so for I think the, that's a realist people who say like, let's be realistic. I'm like, right. who broke your heart? You know? Yeah. yeah. So if you're some, if you are, you know, someone who uh, is a realist, who's listening, yeah. how can, how can those heartbroken dreamers find their way back to who they really are? 
Yeah. I mean, there's so many different signs and I'm sure you have some, uh, a lot to say on this as well around someone who's kind of stuck in trauma. Um, Like one sign is they just keep talking about something because they just never processed and felt it. Talking about something a lot can sometimes be a resistant mechanism to actually feeling it. Mm -hmm. And people kind of trick themselves into thinking because they're talking about it, they're releasing it, but sometimes they're just indulging in it. And I talk about that in the book, what indulgence versus you know, really feeling something looks like. So I would say, um, if you're not talking a lot about it, maybe you're thinking a lot about it, or you get these little flashes in your mind of moments that just are kind of abrupt or abrasive for you to kind of remember. Um, I think that most people who are stuck in their career are, are so because they are traumatized by something that they heard, something that they saw, something that they felt about themselves, about the world, about money. You know, in my case, one thing that held me back for a really long time was my relationship with money. You know, like I, my dad was really wealthy when I was a little kid and he lost everything. Um, and we nearly claimed bankruptcy and I went from having, you know, nannies in a very privileged setup with a huge home to, you know, him having to ponder claiming bankruptcy, moving and renting a small home in the suburbs. And, um, the funny thing about that in retrospect was as a kid, I remember thinking like, oh, I really like this littler house. Like I liked it as a kid, but as adults, we think we're not being good providers. If we, you know, we think a lot about money and our worth. And so my dad, I think was very tripped up on, you know, not being as good of a provider anymore. Whereas I was just like, oh yeah, a cozier house where we can all be together a little right. bit more. Right. But that trauma held me back for a long time because I had a lot of competing beliefs as a result of my dad losing all of his money. One belief, and it wasn't because of the money. It was because of how anxious he was. And, and my, you know, my primary caretaker, my dad and my mom, my, my mom was really grounded. My dad was losing his mind and, you know, he's such a good dad, you know, and he was doing his best and he's so human looking back. But I remember him panicking and having a panic attack. And I write about this in my book and, I remember him saying something about how money is going to kill him. And so as a kid, I remember having two beliefs. One was, I'm going to fix all this. Like, I'm going to make a lot of money. So this isn't a problem anymore. And the second belief was money's going to kill me. Like the pursuit is going to kill me. So I'm going to fix all this and it's going to kill me. Like those beliefs kind of cancel it out. Like I'm going to motivate around something, but that something is going to kill me. So I remember kind of being in this like stop, go traffic energy with money where I would like push myself to the brim in college. Like I was one of the only people graduating with a triple major. I always did summer school to get extra credits. I was a top student. I went to the top program I could for my master's degree. We are cut from the same cloth, girl. Yeah, girl, we are. You know, and I was just trying to find worthiness in money. I was trying to believe like I, I'm going to be someone and, and this is the way to do it. And the thing is, when you work towards something that is backed by limiting realities, limiting beliefs, you can't usually hold it up in the end. So I ended up generating millions of dollars of revenue after a lot of failure. And I self, I self-sabotaged. And I talk a lot in my book about that and how you might be doing that, you know, as self-sabotage. And I lost all of my money. I couldn't hold it up because it was all coming from this traumatized place. And it's not to say you can't keep things when you're traumatized and you're hustling for them, but it is to say it's a lot harder to keep them when you're coming from this broken place inside of yourself. And, um, 
And so, yeah, I, I lost everything. And I think, you know, a lot of us are held back by different pieces of our upbringing, whether it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people um, might be very feminine and they were taught a lot of women, especially at their core, but they were taught to be more masculine in business and it's hard for them to keep it up. It's not their natural energy that they want to create from. And eventually they get tired, they get burnt out because as we talked about, you know, the key to burnout is just being someone else that's tiring, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I could talk forever about, you know, trauma and limiting beliefs, but that is definitely one that sits in my memory that guided my career for a lot of years. I think so many people can relate to that, including myself. Like I remember, I'm totally, you know, giving you guys my age here, but like, you know, 1988, 1989, there was, uh, at least in the, um, uh, there was there was an economic crisis. I remember my parents saying like, I don't know what we're going to do for Christmas this year. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to have like all of those things around like, oh my gosh, it just can be ripped from with like ripped out from under your feet at any time. And I remember, so your, your story really resonated with me and I hope that it will um, resonate with others in terms of the stories that we construct about money. And I said to you before we started talking, like we haven't actually really talked about money on the podcast, but it is something that I do want to get into for the women, any, anybody that listens here, but especially women, because we have, as you just sort of alluded to, you know, as women, there's a certain conditioning that we are subjected to. We should look a certain way. We should talk a certain way. We should behave a certain way. Um, and I think that, um, you talk about it in the book a little bit later on where you say, you know, women will kind of say to you like, why aren't I getting paid what I'm worth? Yeah. Which you sort of deconstruct, like there's sort of problems with that statement in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about how we can get closer to mm -hmm. our beliefs around money. Like how do you get close? Cause you, in order to understand your behaviors, like you talk in the book about all these, and then hiring all these lawyers. And then by the time you were able to turn back on the funnel, like all, you know, wasn't yeah. working anymore, whatever. How do we get closer to our belief system so that we can see our behaviors for a response to the trauma, if that's what we're doing, or if we're actually behaving in a way that isn't al aligned with our, um, I'll call it self-actualized self, you know, mm -hmm. that queen energy, you know, the, the, per the, the person that you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the first piece is to look at your patterns in your life. You know, your patterns usually are what shed the most light on where you're limited. So what keeps happening or what keeps not happening in your, your career or in your life that you really want something to happen. And it's, it's just not working out. Um, look at what's not working and ask yourself, I haven't gotten there because, and just fill in the blank. This hasn't happened for me because, you know, and what does that mean about you? What are you making it mean about you? Um, you know, there's really two things. There's what happens and how you hold emotionally what happens. And that's the interesting thing about trauma as I think we were taught to believe that trauma, like big T trauma, it's like these big evident uh, events that happen, like being held gunpoint or, you know, rape or something really awful. Uh, but the truth is trauma can be, you know, little T trauma. It can be not being invited to a birthday party when you were a kid and thinking about it all night and, and buying into the belief that you aren't worth being friends with and that being with you your whole life. Um, you know, we've read all the research about how many of our thoughts every single day are the same. 
and we are just circulating. And it takes a lot of work and awareness to cut that cord of the same thought circulating. And so the beginning is just looking at the patterns of saying, what key, and, and you could do this in your romantic relationship. Like, what is my pattern in my romantic relationship? What keeps happening with us? What do we keep fighting about? Look at your career, what keeps happening? Um, and just ask yourself, you know, what am I believing about this thing that keeps it happening? And then we rewrite it with, or we re begin to rewrite that with other sentence stems. Like what would yeah. be the, so once we identify, okay, I have identified that I don't believe that I'm capable of yeah. holding a director position. I'm yeah. just making something up here, but like, yeah. I don't believe that I'm capable of holding this director position or making more money. Um, how do we begin to replace that with something that is, I don't want to say realistic, but you know, something that is more, um, aligned with who we are. Yeah. So one way that I've learned to release limitations is to forgive yourself. So you can say out loud, you know, I forgive myself for buying into the belief that I forgive myself for buying oh, into good. the belief that's that so mm -hmm. I'm not capable of being a director. And then you move into the truth. And the thing about the truth is that the, the truth is a rainbow. There's many different colors of the truth. So you just pick a better truth. I forgive myself for buying the belief that I'm not capable of being a director. The truth is there are a lot of directors out there who have the same skills and qualifications that I do right now. And the only difference between me and them is that they believe that this was available for them. You know, um, I forgive myself for buying in the belief that I don't deserve a raise. You know, the truth is I'm working really hard. I'm giving my all to this job, you know? So I think just forgive yourself, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. And the thing about our beliefs is that a lot of the times they're like a big rock, like a huge boulder, and you just got to slowly chip away at it. And people think, oh, I forgave myself. It's over now. I did it. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like awakening and healing and growth is a process. You know, it's not an event. It's not like you have a party because suddenly you grew and it's done. And so I think um, forgiving yourself every time your peace is disturbed, anytime your body is disturbed, it's because it's believing something. So anytime you feel off, ask yourself, what am I thinking right now? What am I buying into right now? Especially at work. And um, get still for a second and say, what thought just caused my heart to get tense? And do the forgiveness work. And if you need a second, go to the bathroom, stand in the bathroom stall, put your hand over your heart and close your eyes and quietly say to yourself, I forgive myself for buying into the belief that, you know, this person is doing a better job than me. The truth of the matter is that we're different and I'm really good at what I'm really good at. And they're really good at what they're really good at. And it's just different, you know? That's so we beautiful. celebrate both, right? Mm. So always notice where your peace gets disturbed. Gosh, that's so, and I think that that's such a good way of, you know, we always talk about, it's not the, it's not the destination, it's the journey, right? And people all, we, we have this distortion where we think I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when, um, I lose the weight. I'll be happy when I move to this neighborhood. And the truth of the matter is you may be happy when those things happen, when you lose the weight, find the partner, you know, buy the dream house, whatever, but it's incredibly fleeting. It's mm -hmm. incredibly fleeting. And you're still the same 
person with the same hangups. Like, of course, yeah. maybe you have to, you know, you have to grow into being able to lose the weight and, you know, accruing the money for the dream house or what, you know, being the partner that, you know, to attract the dream partner. But you, if you don't change the way that you think, and I think this is such a critical part of whether it's designing your career or designing your life, it's forgiving yourself for other people's voices that have been implanted because you didn't learn, Ashley, you didn't grow up, you know, you weren't born thinking, man, like I'm just so unlovable. Like I'm just so, you grow up as the, you know, you're born as this, you know, this is getting woo woo, but you know, you're born as this like perfect, fully complete, no filter. This is who I am, right? You cry when you're hungry, you know, you laugh when you're happy. And it's only as we grow up and we assume these cloaks, right? We assume these stories that people give us. Um, so it, it, I love this. Uh, I think you call it compassionate. Self-forgiveness. Uh, yes. Compassionate self-forgiveness um, in the book where it's, I'm sorry that I believe X, the truth is Y. And I think you, you develop a relationship with yourself that way. Like that's, that's, you know, if there is a sort of a secret message, I think in your book, it's to develop a relationship with yourself, to know who you are so yes. that you can begin to design the life that you love, the career that you love, and to be happy, you know, in a, in a genuine way, not in this sort of toxic, you know, positivity, like I'm always happy no matter what kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, you know, if we're always, like I was saying, like everything has a cost of admission, you know, and like we live in a world of duality, like you don't know happy unless you know sad, like you have to understand sad in order right. to understand happy. So it's, I just think this pressure we put on ourselves to always be happy or to always love what we're doing or to always be, I think we all need to do a better job getting good at some, sometimes things are okay. Sometimes things are great. Um, and just being in the sometimes it's not to say that you need to accept a lukewarm life or accept mediocrity from yourself or for yourself in your life. But I do think that, um, you know, a lot of the generations right now, my own, like being a, a millennial gen X, gen Z, um, general, you know, I think we all tend to have as humans, just an impatience for things not being great. And we were taught that they should be, you know, radically changed. And, um, I think there's a grounding that needs to happen into who you are before you make those decisions of what to do next. Wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about these core skill sets that you outline in the book. There's 10 of them. Um, I think I know my two, but I, I think my first one is words, but let's, let's actually talk about what, um, uh, what these core set skill sets, um, can do for you and how they can direct your decision-making. Yeah. I came up with 10 core skill sets in chapter two of my book, because, you know, as we were talking about, I think that this is really the juice that you bring with you throughout your career. And one of the key components of having a career you love, um, so there's 10 in no particular order. The first one is innovation. So this one's for the creative self-starter, the entrepreneur or the intrapreneur. Um, you know, you know that most of the time, um, you know, I, I feel like entrepreneurship is kind of being promoted as like the superior path on the internet. That's what I've been seeing was like, be an entrepreneur. But I don't Lapt think it's the laptop lifestyle. That's laptop I lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. so funny. All those pictures of people with their laptop at the beach. I would never put my laptop. I would never, never, you know, <laughs> no, I yeah. would never it's going to overheat. That. I'm like, what is the, who did where's this the picture? plug? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. My battery's dying. So 
I think we were sold this like work is where the Wi-Fi is thing. But I think most people are not meant to be entrepreneurs. You know, I think a lot of people can have a side hustle and there's like a resourcefulness to that. But, um, you know, entrepreneurs tend to be a little bit crazy, right? Because you have to be crazy to keep working on something that isn't working until it works sometimes, you know? Um, it's kind of like Albert Einstein says, like, what is like insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Like, I literally think that's entrepreneurship is you keep trying the same thing and then suddenly it might work. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have pain when they don't have all out freedom. They want creative freedom, time freedom. Um, they want to work on their ideas when they want to work on them. And they have a looser relationship with money, meaning that their the risk is worth it for them, even if they don't get the reward. Intrapreneurs tend to just need flexibility. They're highly creative visionaries as well, um, but they don't necessarily need that all out freedom where they need to be the whole idea behind, you know, a business or like the, the direction something's going on, but they do need some autonomy. So the innovator is the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur. And then the second skill set is the builder. Um, and this can be literal or more of a metaphor. So it can be literal, like a construction worker building with their hands, or it could be more like a, a website developer, you know, they're building a website, or it could be a um, management consultant, like a strategist, you know, people who are very strategic are builders. Um, and then number three is words, which I think is both of us. Um, it's the person who uses words to make money and they are so naturally good at it, you know, and you know what your core skill set is based on what skill are you going to use no matter what? Like my first job was at a preschool and I was helping the chef with the food at lunchtime when I was 16, but I always found typos on the flyers and would like bring it to the front <laughs> desk. So words was kind of my skill set from day one. And, um, I think it's really important to kind of know, like, what is that foundational skill that you're going to kind of turn to, even when you're flipping burgers, you're going to go to this other skill set, you know, like you could have thrown me an in and out burger and I would have been working on their marketing materials in no time. So, um, the thing about words that I think about with all of these skills is, is whether you're introverted or extroverted, because if you are an introvert, the worst thing you could do for a words person is make them like a business development salesperson, a talent agent, a real estate agent. That's a great way for a words person to operate if it matches with their core nature and their core values for them to be selling something or working in that way. But that's for an extrovert. So you want to ask yourself throughout all these skill sets, what is my skill and am I an introvert or am I an extrovert? Like, how do I get energy? I'm actually more introverted. So most of my time is spent on my laptop typing at a coffee shop alone. If I was talking all day, like I, I mean, I do a lot of keynotes and travel for speaking, but what a lot of people don't know, cause I'm so energetic when I'm up there and it's really authentic, but afterwards I've, I sleep for like 24 hours cause I'm, I'm an introvert. So really knowing that. And then number four is motion. So this is for the fitness trainers. This is for the people out there who um, they're on their feet. And that's how they thought I could be tour guides. It's just people, it, it really is a skill like to a thrive. chiropractor, on, physiotherapist, that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. You know. yeah. And uh, number five is service. So this is the helpers, the humanitarians, the supporters. Um, you know, speaking of trauma, I really like to ask these people, is service truly your skill set or are you coming from a wounded place? Like, did you learn to be a people pleaser in your family because that's who you had to be? Right. You know, maybe it's both. Maybe you learned how to be a people pleaser, but you like it too. 
So I think just really getting honest with yourself, you know, about your skills and where they're coming from is really important because um, I actually, the next skill set I want to share is coordination. And I had a friend who tragically lost a lot of family members at a young age, and she had to step into a parent role at age 16. And she thought her skill set was coordination when in actuality, you know, she had to be a coordinator. She had to step into being a mom at age 16. So that's a perfect example of like, that just came from what life forced her to be, not who she necessarily naturally is. Her true core skill set is probably innovation. I mean, the woman has created so many innovative, you know, solutions and apps to problems in today's world. So coordination is for the detail-oriented operations, project management, cross the T's, dot the I's, wedding planner type of personality. Not me. This is not, not me, me in any way. <laughs> I know. Like I love these people. I depend on these people because I other, know. if I didn't have people who coordinated like my support on my you know, support for my programs, I would, I, I know I would fall apart. Me and you both. Um, and then number seven is analysis. And this one is for the researcher, the economist. I was actually residing in this skill set at the Pentagon because it was a lot of analysis. And what I didn't realize, you know, was I really misunderstood my core skill set because words was my core skill set all along. I, I'm, I'm great at writing. And I remember thinking, oh, great. I'm, I'm great with words. Like writing a lot of intelligence reports will be great. But what I didn't realize is you're using a totally different side of your brain when it comes to creative writing versus analysis, like left versus right brain. So I, I think this happens a lot for people as they misunderstand their skill set. And these skill sets by no means guarantee a job title. It's just like there's many different job titles that fit a core right. skill set. Right. Um, number eight is numbers. So, you know, number crunchers, bookkeepers, investment bankers. Number nine is technology. So this is for the artificial intelligence creators, the tech whizzes, the IT geniuses. And then number 10 is beauty for the people who make art of the world around them, the musicians, the artists, the aesthetics, um, interior designers, you know, fashion designers. So those are the 10. And I do believe everybody has one that they truly lead with, although probably everybody listening resonated with two or three. Yeah. And I, I, I see parts of my, like, I see words as like my very, like, that's the primary one for me. I like to talk. I like to write. I used to write blog posts. That was sort of like my therapy when I wanted to just get everything around in my head on in order. And I would judge the paragraphs and play with the, the sort like that was my um, therapy really. Uh, innovation. I feel like maybe my second one or beauty, but I see myself in movement, you know, as a chiropractor, I, I am still a chiropractor, but in private practice for 16 years, um, coordination, absolutely not. Um, a little bit of service numbers and yeah, a little bit of numbers, but well, like, exactly. I, it's yeah. like words clearly as your one, even though you can totally thrive in motion and be a great chiropractor. And that's the, the thing that is there's zones of greatness and people get lost in those, yeah. but there's zones of genius. And if you really, really want to um, sustain a career and, and love your career, usually you're in your zone of genius and you've stepped beyond just the greatness. And it's interesting because I, I was a chiropractor in private practice for 16 years, loved it, best patients, made a great living, but it's this idea of like good to great, right? It was a good, yeah. you know, very comfortable. And then there, it just came a point where I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I ended up closing the clinic and moving more into the online space to move beyond 
you know, the science and, and of chiropractic, that the neuromusculoskeletal system is always like, I still talk about it today. I love it, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to use a different medium other than my hands. Like I wanted to be speaking. I wanted to be writing. I wanted to be, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because it, it became so painful for me, even though it was an easy, it was easy work for me. Like, you know, you learn the patterns, you're a good doctor, you know, see that, you know, you can learn all these things and they're acquired, but it was, it came to the point for me where I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. It was, I would come home and cry for hours and like my partner yeah. Giovanni would be like, okay, we have to, like, you can't, like, you can't be crying all the time. Like you ha- we have to make a decision here in terms of what, what you're going to do. So exactly. And yeah. what a good partner that he is there to support you with that. You know, we, we need help in our career. We need support, whether it's hiring someone or just friends that we can lean on. Yeah. I want to, I want to touch on one more thing, which really spoke to me in your book. And it was, um, later in your book, I think the, it was something like life is friendly. It said something yeah. like this idea that there is so much power mm-hmm. in being powerless. You know, when you have no more options, mm-hmm. this idea of surrendering, uh, you know, surrendering to the situation, surrendering, you know, not trying to like stick the square peg in the round hole, um, which opens up to grace. And I think that for many, and maybe it spoke to me because I am very much a type A high, you know, high achieving success oriented person. I have often, and we talk about this on the podcast, this idea of the divine masculine, the divine feminine, this really spoke to me as like the divine feminine, you know, this idea of surrendering to what is and, Mm -hmm. you know, leaving yourself open to grace, Mm -hmm. which I just love. And I was so attracted, um, to this whole area of your book. Can you say a little bit more Mm -hmm. about this idea of why being powerless is actually a sign of, or, you know, a situation of, of power? Yeah, I think that we spend a lot of our time in between and in purgatory where we haven't accepted what is, but we don't like, or we don't, we we haven't accepted what's possible, but we don't like where we are. And there's like this suffering and torture. And it's kind of like Eckhart Tolle says, it's like, when you accept what is, that's the end of drama in your life. And so I think that reckoning of like being at rock bottom and feeling like you have no power that moment where you decide to surrender and accept life where it is, that's ironically the moment that you start to get your power back. Because number one, when you're resisting, you cannot be as creative. Like, why would you be in creative solution generation if you don't want to be where you are? And that, and it's not like, and that's what you're focused on is I don't, I don't like it here. I don't want this happening. You're kicking and screaming. You can't be innovative and brilliant while you're kicking and screaming. So I think being at those rock bottom moments where you're not in resignation, because acceptance is not resignation. It's very different. But when you're in full acceptance and you allow life to kind of redirect you is so empowering. And I don't know one person who came out the other side of a crisis worse, like Most people I know had some sort of crisis. It brought them to their knees. They resisted it, whether it was like the death of a loved one or a career change or something super painful. And they kicked and screamed. They didn't want it to happen. And the moment they accepted it happening, they were able to love that person more before they lost them. They were able to search for new jobs because they accepted that this wasn't the one anymore. Um, And they were able to get more creative and excited about life. 
you know, I think you see a lot of people who lose someone and then they become more alive from the experience of death. Um, and, and I think that's the case with your career. And so anyone who is in limbo right now, my wish for you would be to realize how powerless that is. You know, if you want to be powerful, take your power back, make a commitment, choose something, accept where you are, show up, try something on, see what feedback the universe gives you. And remember that you get to course correct along the way. If this thing isn't working for you again. Wonderful. So do you take client, like how can, if people have been listening to this and they're like, uh, this girl is my, this is my people. This is, this <sighs> woman is my people. How, how do people find you? Um, is the book a great place to start? Like where yeah. can people find and interact with you more? I mean, I always, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast and my book is definitely a great place to start. My show is the same name as my book. It's U-Turn Podcast, Y-O-U, Turn, two different words. Um, you know, with this idea of making a U-Turn, coming home to yourself instead of just turning around and going the other way like we do when we're driving in bad traffic. So um, U-Turn Podcast, the U-Turn book are the two best places to find me. I have courses on my website. I have a free quiz on my website to figure out your career path. So many resources are on there. I would love to see you there. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful that you had me here. I am, I am so grateful too. I think that what you're talking about here is really a roadmap. It's a template for living a life that's aligned with, with your soul. You know, I know you talk about goals and souls in the book and there was so much of your book that really spoke to me because I think so many of us we're on that first lily pad. Like we sit yeah. in that first lily pad. Um, you know, I, Gio and I have often like jokingly like said, like that's the muggles, like that's where the, you know, the muggles in from Harry Potter, like sort of they're unconscious, yeah. they're asleep, you know, they're, but they're just, you know, maybe they know that they have a favorite food or maybe they know that they like, like to watch football or whatever it is. Not, not knocking football, but like whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, it takes a lot of courage to wake up. It takes a lot of courage to awaken. There's a lot of pain in it, but the other side is bliss. Like the other side is what is the Dharma. It's that third lily pad that you're talking about. So I just, I love this book. I think it's going to be, it was very impactful to me. I want my Bettys to go absolutely and pick this book up. You can get it Amazon. I'm assuming like any online retailer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you for writing it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and the compassionate self-forgiveness is something that I know that I will be integrating into my life as well. I wanted to highlight one of the podcast reviews that came in and just touched my heart. This is from Brittany uh, Kiesa in the United States of America. Brittany, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, the title is My Science Queen. Already, I love this. <laughs> my friend sent me her newsletter a very long time ago, and I look forward to it every week, but the podcast even better. I have indulged on every episode and now her book, of course. I appreciate her deep dive into the latest science relating to all things women. I even stalk her on other people's podcasts so I can learn even more. However, I do not recommend listening to her walk, to, to her on a walk or in the car because you're going to need a free hand to take notes. I bow to the queen of science. Well, let me just reciprocate that bow, Brittany. Thank you so much for the time that you took in making this review. Of course, it helps other Bettys like you, Britt, uh, to find uh, to find this podcast and to begin to take back our power because I think that 
it has been lost. And this is this podcast in particular with Ashley, I think is going to be one of many where we start to explore our belief systems around money. I know that we have, and Brittany, you may not be a healthcare practitioner, but I, I know that there are a lot of clinicians that listen to me and we want to help the world. We like, you know, and Brittany, in your own way, I know that you are contributing to the world in a meaningful way, but you can't do it when you're broke. And so I know that this is going to be a topic that I am going to begin to explore how women can, you know, we got to fix ourselves first. We got to fix our bodies. We got to get in tune with our bodies. And that's what the bulk of this podcast is, has been up until this point. And I think as I start to find experts that I want to highlight and their thought leaders and the way that we can begin to look around our money stories, then we are going to see more podcasts like this because money, all it is, it's a personal development course, right? Because we all have, we all have thoughts and feelings about it. So Brittany, I bow down to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. I know that you're very busy, very important in your own life. So to do this is incredibly meaningful to me and I will see you next time. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 